year-old child whispering, and promising her a better life, 2,568 miles away from what was promised. And then we don't provide them the basic needs. We don't treat them like human beings. Just like, we have like that, this in Spanish, it's like, so even though the cage is gold, it's still a cage. These are our stories. These are our experiences. This is. 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 This Welcome back to another episode of Voices of Immigration. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Biden administration, specifically what he has and hasn't been doing. When Biden was elected, I think a lot of us were holding out hope that he was going to be better than the Trump era. And in many ways, he is. Um, but in other ways, it's also frustrating to see how much change hasn't happened. And so in today's episode, we're going to be talking about what Biden has and hasn't done. And we're going to be bringing in two individuals to talk to you all about what's been going on. And so the first you're going to be hearing from is Erica Martinez. She is a student at Rutgers University, and you're going to be able to hear from her. She brings to life why it is really important to have change that happens, and she's able to discuss her own personal experiences. Um, after hearing from Erica, uh, we're going to be uh, bringing in some audio from Jason Hernandez, an immigration lawyer that you all are going to be able to hear from in terms of what's been going on with the Biden administration as of late from a legal perspective. And so we're going to go ahead and dive right into Erica's interview so we can really talk and hear about the personal experiences of why immigration and change for immigration is really important. Hi, everyone. We have brought onto the show Erica Martinez, who is a rising senior at Rutgers University, and she's majoring in sociology and minoring in legal studies. As an undocumented person, she has and continues to advocate for the passage of the Clean Dream Act, the abolishment of ICE, and lobbied for the landmark victory expanding access to state financial aid programs to New Jersey undocumented youth. She's also an organizer with Make the Road New Jersey, a grassroots organization that builds the power of immigrants and working class communities. We're so happy to have you on the show, Erica. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm super happy to have you. You are very much an inspirational person for a lot of us. And so all the work that you do, I've always admired. So I'm really happy to have you on. Thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to start the conversation by talking about you, who you are as a person, and your upbringings as an immigrant in New Jersey. I'm just hoping that you can talk a bit more about that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I have a lot of, of a reputation for being, you know, this advocate for immigrants' rights and being openly undocumented. I talk about my status very openly. Uh, and I do that because I think that there's obviously a stigma around being undocumented. And that's why I try to do my best to uh, break down that stigma so that more people that are undocumented feel comfortable doing the same thing. So I actually found out that I was undocumented in high school. I knew the story of how my family had come to the United States. I just knew that I wasn't born in the United States and that we came to New Jersey when I was two years old from El Salvador. 
And that's pretty much all I knew. And I sometimes I wish I could talk more to what it was like coming to the United States. Uh, I know that people have very vivid memories of boarding the flight and then never going back to their home country. But I don't have that experience. I don't have those memories. So what I rely on is what I call secondhand memories. Secondhand memories from my mom and my uncles that we did the journey with to the United States. I knew that my dad had come first and that he had left my mom, me, and my older sister in El Salvador. And I think our story is very much one that resonates with a lot of people. We came because on El Salvador, there was just a lot of violence. The economy was not great. And my family saw more opportunities here in the United States. So my mom made the decision to reunite our family here in New Jersey. And I just know that one day her, my aunt, and my two other uncles just packed up their lives sparingly, right? Just the essentials, just the clothes like on their back and a few other things. And we made the journey up to the Mexican border. And I I wish I could remember that, right? I know that there are stories of it being really, really cold some nights uh, and having scary encounters with border patrol. But I don't remember anything myself. My earliest memory is actually being a kindergarten student here in the United States and not knowing how to speak English. English is my second language. And that's why when people or when I hear bad rhetoric about immigrants, I it, it honestly doesn't phase me at this point when I hear that like immigrants are criminals and like this isn't your home because I know unapologetically that this is my home. So it doesn't really bother me anymore. And that's why it, it really baffles me that I and for 11 million other undocumented people in this country that we are denied so much when we have really planted our roots here. And I, that's why I think I'm so unapologetic about being undocumented because I, I know who I am, right? And I know that nobody can take this away from me because I have such, such deep ties with my community. And I guess in high school, when I realized the full effect of being undocumented, I knew that my family was always afraid of encounters with ICE. And I understood that fear. But I think what really hit me was when all of my classmates were talking about FAFSA. And then I realized that I wasn't eligible for FAFSA. And then suddenly it became a question of, will I even go to college? Even though that was something that I really, really wanted and something that I really saw myself doing. And I guess that's when, like, my story with, like, immigrants' rights advocacy began. Wow. I mean, there's so much there. Yeah, um, so much. I think you're absolutely right. This is an experience that a lot of people share, but it isn't talked about enough. We never really see it in TV. We never really hear about it in school. It's something that's always hidden and shuffled away. That's really frustrating. But I'm really glad that you shared that. Um, and I think that one thing that you said that really resonated with me was not being really phased anymore when people talk about immigrants. And I think that's, to a certain extent, really heartbreaking. The fact that we're just, this is normal for us. This is what life is like as an immigrant. We know that it happens and we take it. We fight back, but 
it's just part of normal life. You started talking a little bit about your advocacy starting after you realized the disadvantages you have just by being undocumented, even though, you know, in reality, it's just papers. It's really frustrating. So what was that process like getting into advocacy? Yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I, I was also really, growing up, I was really what I called myself a like really hardcore feminist. Uh, I, I think I had that spirit in me. Of, I know that like being a woman doesn't make me any less than any man in my life, right? And I think that speaks a little bit to like the dynamics of like a Latinx family, right? So I, I think I had that like advocacy in me in in a really what I call like a baby way, right? Like it wasn't fully fleshed out. I didn't really see myself, you know, hitting the streets and marching, right? I just knew I had a really strong sense of like what I think is right and what I think is wrong. So when I was a junior in high school, I also went to a high school that was predominantly white. I was the only undocumented student in my entire grade. I was the first undocumented student that my guidance counselor had ever worked with. So she didn't know how to answer my questions. And she just told me, if you think your family can afford it, just go to community college. And I didn't have a problem with that, right? Like I am, I was totally okay with going to community college, but at the same time, I knew that there were scholarships out there and that she really wasn't telling me about. So that's when I started telling myself, I just do your own research, see what you can find, see what you're eligible for. And the, I guess like the day that changed my life was I was going to the water fountain right after gym at school uh, and it happened to be in front of the main office and there was a bulletin board just school announcements you know this dance is coming up sign up for like LSAT prep courses announcements like that and I saw a flyer and like in bold letters it said financial aid night or financial aid information session for immigrant students and I was like, wait, that's me. I'm like an immigrant student. And that was the first time that I had ever seen a flyer that resonated so closely to my identity, right, as this undocumented person. And I like looked down at the flyer and I saw that it was in Elizabeth and I like lived in Elizabeth. And so it all felt it felt like all the pieces fell into place in that moment. And I like wrote down the date and I made sure to go. And I asked my mom if she wanted to come with me to this fin like financial aid night. And she couldn't that night. And I, I took it as whatever. I went by myself and it was hosted by Make the Road New Jersey. And I like walked in super shy. Um, I was not as loud in that time as I am now. Uh, very timid. I just sat down, took the folder of flyers and information that they had, and I just sat through the presentation. And I remember sitting there and watching them present. It also wasn't the organizers that were presenting. It was other young people like me. And that also struck me as odd and also like exciting, exciting to see other young people talking about these opportunities for undocumented students. And I just remember sitting there and feeling like, wow, I'm, I see some very real options for me. 
some very real routes for me to be able to go to college, right? And afterwards, I, I don't know what, like, again, I was very shy, but I forced myself to go talk to one of the organizers of the information session. And it happened to be the director of Make the Road New Jersey, Sarah. And uh, I was just telling her, you know, like, I'm an undocumented student and I loved tonight. I loved it so much. I like put a star next to all of the scholarships that I'm thinking of applying to. And I'm really excited. I think I have like this real chance of going to college and like being able to afford it, especially because at this time, my mom was a single mom, right, to four kids at the time, right? So it felt exciting. And it was the first time I felt seen. And Sarah and me like talked for a little bit and she was, she was super encouraging. Um, talked to me about being undocumented as, as if it were like totally normal, right? Like no shame attached to it. Whereas when I talked to my guidance counselor about it, it was kind of like she whispered about it, you know, like let's not be too loud about it. It's, it's not something that you want to say openly. Yeah. And like counselors typically don't really know how to handle talking about it, which is really frustrating. Yeah. I guess for a while, I didn't really feel shame about it until I started seeing more and more rhetoric in the news that was shaming immigrants. And I think that to an extent, it kind of felt like, oh, you think it's shameful? Oh, it probably should be something that I should not talk about so openly, right? So I don't know. It's like when you when you don't know like how to handle or work with an undocumented student. I guess I see where she was coming from. You know, like it might be something that you don't want to talk about openly, but it's, I, I've unlearned that, right? Um, I'm way more comfortable talking about being undocumented now. Yeah. Uh, which so it's I'm about matching energy. Yeah. Like the counselor should have matched your energy about how you felt about yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I guess going back to Sarah, um, so we just got to talking about being an undocumented high school student. And I don't know why this came up in conversation, but this also happened to be the week of the Women's March. The Women's March was happening in Washington, D.C. Trump had just been elected. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even talk about like Trump had just been elected and I was really scared. Um, I really thought that my whole family would be deported. Uh, and here I am like. I also want to go to college, but Trump had just been elected. It was a really intense few months for me. And I guess also like my classmates, um, some of them were celebrating that Trump had been elected. And it just felt like, like really lonely, to be honest, in those moments. Because I was like, my classmates obviously don't understand where I'm coming from. And then here I am at Make the Road New Jersey meeting people that are saying, you know, we're going to like fight back. We're going to create a plan to make sure that our communities are safe. Um, and also we're like building power in our communities. And Sarah actually invited me to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. She told me that they had maybe three seats open on the bus that they were taking to Washington, D.C. And I was so excited. Um, and I went home, I told my mom everything, and I asked her if I could go to Washington, D.C. with these people that I had just met. Uh, and she told me, she was like, you're crazy. <laughs> you're not going to Washington, D.C. with them. And I just remember being so disappointed. But then I realized, you know what? Like, I did just meet them. Maybe I shouldn't go to D.C. with them. 
And I, I was still like, is there any other way that I can become involved? I really love your mission and I feel, I feel like welcomed here. And then they told me that they had a youth power project, uh, a, a group of young people that wanted to like create change in their community. And I told them that I was really interested. And then I started going to these youth power project meetings more frequently. And yeah, the rest is history. I started off as a youth member and now I'm um, an organizer with Make the Road New Jersey, which is really exciting. That is really incredible. And I think, again, like so many shared experiences in that because I also was very similar. I was talking like I was from I'm from Arkansas. And so like I was talking with like Arkansas United Community Coalition, which is the immigrant rights group there. And I was scared to go talk to the director. I talked to them, um, <laughs> went to D.C. with them, even though I just met them uh, for DACA Extended DAPA. So there's so many parallels that I think are really cool. Like I'm from Arkansas, you're from New Jersey, but there's so many parallels in in our like what we've done with our life. And so that's, that's really awesome. Um, Maybe but D.C. I think- is like the way that all of us <laughs> just get introduced to this advocacy world. They start off yeah. big and then we work <laughs> off into this these more like micro forms of advocacy in our communities, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. You get the you get the full picture of what advocacy looks like you start in your community and like you build up to where legislators are dc right Uh, maybe that's a rite of passage to being an immigrant rights advocate it was so powerful like that has fueled me since i mean that experience like when i was like 15 so Uh, it's awesome (laughs) i don't know if you've had this experience but there was this one action that we did in a senate building i think it's called the heart building we we were just chanting and it was so loud and it was a full body experience i i just got chills it was we were chanting i think like dream act now Mm-hmm. And just chills on my body, like all over my body, just seeing all the orange, which is the color of United We Dream. Right. Uh, it was just so beautiful to see so many people and they were from all over the country, mm-hmm. seeing them all come and just seeing it's it's a visual representation of our power. Just yeah. chills. <laughs> yeah, the moment that really gave me chills was whenever we were again, it was DACX and Adapa Supreme Court case all the allies, like all these allies started walking and like marching with us. I saw the, you know, the Black Lives Matter flag like really held up. And then I saw the the pride flag held up. And there were so many allies just marching with us because, you know, it's like we support them and they support us. And that's really, really incredible. That's the moment it's that beautiful. gave me just full body chills. And I, it was the most empowering moment, I think. But uh, we went on a tangent. I want to redirect us um, back to talking about, um, you know, what, you know, work you've done. You have been doing amazing things at Make the Road New Jersey. And so specifically just wanted to ask you about um, what New Jersey's been up to. I mean, in terms of advocacy and um, pushing for the, the bills that you all have been pushing for. I'm just hoping that you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, for sure. We've been busy in New Jersey. <laughs> um, and I, I credit it to us seeing that nothing is really moving at the federal level, right? Um, Right. We have DACA, and DACA is great, right? I have family members of my own that are DACA recipients. I'm not a DACA recipient myself yet. (laughs) Hopefully, I'll heal back in a few weeks from now, whether I'm a DACA recipient. But 
right we recognize that daca is not the permanent solution and that if the federal government isn't going to do anything about uh, creating safeguards for immigrant communities and really allowing us to thrive we're at least going to do it here in new jersey um, and really leverage the power of our communities to pass these legislations that will help our communities thrive uh, so the first thing that we did was we passed financial aid for undocumented students in New Jersey, which was a huge step, right? Like that's when I finally was able to see myself going to college because I also had access to state financial aid. And that was uh, like a collective campaign that immigrant youth took on in New Jersey. And uh, yes, and that also was a campaign where it was very much focused on young people. And that's that's the narrative that we see all the time. People love dreamers. Um, people love hearing stories of this dreamer went to college and they're they're on their like master's degree. They beat the like they went against like all the odds and they're successful. Right. And that's the story that the media really lauds. Um, but I think it's important to also talk about the story of, um, you know, like people like my mom, right? People like my mom that um, is an undocumented woman that works really hard to provide for my siblings um, and me, right? And people like my uncles, people like the Make the Road New Jersey members that have lived here for decades um, and they have their own businesses, right? Um, they are also deserving of pro-immigrant le legislation, right? So from the financial aid win, we started talking about, like, what's next? Um, what do we do with this momentum that we've created um, where we have legislators that are on our side and that want to really stand with uh, immigrant communities. So we started talking to law students at NYU and talking to them about, we want to draft a bill where we expand access to occupational licenses. Uh, and that was like our big vision. Um, our vision was that everybody in the state of New Jersey, regardless of their immigration status, could have access to an occupational license so that if they wanted to be... Um, sorry, just, I hate to cut you off, but can you just explain to the audience really quickly um, what occupational licenses are? Yes. So an occupational license is basically a certification saying that whoever the applicant is, um, has all of the education requirements, the training requirements to be whatever profession it is, right, that you want the occupational license for. So you can, um, for example, one of the like most popular licenses is like teaching, teaching doctors, like the physician's license, nurses, uh, manicurists, HVAC technician, electrical contractors. In New Jersey, we have more than 200 licenses. And some of these licenses require a college degree, others don't, right? All you have to do is like complete a certification program uh, and just prove that you have the experience, right? So the occupational licenses world is very big. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, breaking that down. Yeah. And yeah, I was uh, just getting to that. I, this is very like niche, um, but in reality, like it, it means a lot to folks for undocumented people that are in college and are in a nursing program and they need that next step, 
right? Or people like my my uncle's girlfriend that like wanted to really loves nails and wanted to go to like beauty school, get the training and then become a manicurist and then own her own beauty salon in the future, you know? Um, so it, it just means honestly like endless opportunities for immigrant communities in New Jersey. And we knew that other states had done it. Uh, actually, Arkansas, your home state, right? They expanded access to nursing licenses for DACA mm -hmm. recipients. And I think that that was also the work of Arkansas United. Uh, mm -hmm. And we really took like that energy and their mission. And we said, we want to do the same thing in New Jersey, uh, but we want to expand access to all licenses and not just DACA recipients, everybody, everybody who doesn't have a an immigration status, right? Not just DACA recipients or TPS holders, which is temporary protect protection status, uh, really anybody. And we just came to these law students. I feel bad for them. Uh, we said um, their names were um, Rebecca and um, Dinesh. We said, Rebecca and Dinesh, we want to work with you um, on drafting this bill where we expand access to all New Jersey occupational licenses to all undocumented folks. Uh, and we would meet on Saturdays at the Make the Road New Jersey office, a group of high schoolers and law students working on this bill. And then we created this plan to win. Uh, it took two years where um, we were working on different drafts of the bill, making sure that we had all of our bases covered, talking to other Make the Road New Jersey members, and they were super excited. They were already thinking, uh, wow, like I can become a cosmetologist and have my beauty salon, right? Uh, I can get my HVAC technician license. I can um, go back to school and be like a nurse, you know? Uh, so they were really excited. And then we started collecting like testimonies and having like a story bank so that when we were talking to legislators, that they saw the real impact of what this legislation would have. We like really picked up momentum during COVID um, in this virtual world. We would usually show up in Trenton with all of our Make the Road New Jersey blue shirts uh, and present testimony, but we did that over Zoom this time around. We showed up at I think it must have been like four different committee meetings um, talking to legislators about what this legislation would mean. And then on September 1st, Governor Murphy signed it. Uh, and I just remember him signing the bill. We did it on a Facebook Live. And I remember thinking about one of our members at Make the Road New Jersey. Uh, and his story is that he did a cosmetology program and uh, he couldn't get the license because he didn't have a social security number, but like that, this legislation would change that. And his next step was to get his license and then open his own beauty salon. And I remember thinking about him and thinking like, wow, he's going to have his beauty salon in New Jersey. And that was really exciting to me. Uh, and that's just one of the stories. I think in New Jersey, um, we've we've done such a good job of making sure that our communities feel at home here and like really feel that they can thrive here. And I haven't even mentioned the driver's licenses when that we had. Uh, and, and I know, Tanya, you like have some familiarity with that. But the driver's license win was huge. I feel like everybody 
that I know cried that day because it was such an emotional day because not every state allows undocumented folks to have a driver's license. Uh, and I think to a lot of people who aren't really familiar with what this win means, they must look at us and say, like, why are you so excited about a driver's license, right? Like, you get that when you're 16. Yeah, you get a car. Um, insurance is expensive. What are you excited about? Right. But before driver's licenses, it was it was a struggle to even get your children to a doctor's appointment um, to buy groceries and do, do your laundry. Errands become a difficulty to families that don't have access to a driver's license. So when we won access to driver's licenses or when it passed in 2019, it was huge. It was huge. It was huge. Um, and that's probably one of the wins that our members talk the most fondly about because they were involved in this fight for years. And every year they marched, every year they went to Trenton, every year they like strategized and thought of new ways to make it a reality in New Jersey. So when it happened, it was, it was really a dream come true. And it was like a dream that they worked so hard for. And now, I guess now that our biggest campaigns, right, like, so if we're keeping track in New Jersey, we have access to financial aid for undocumented high school students. We have access to occupational licenses. We have access to driver's licenses. Uh, and now it's now we're in this like COVID world. Right. Or at least things things are getting better now. Right. But our members are are truly thinking like bigger, like what, what is our next move? Our next big fight is definitely citizenship for all, uh, because there's a real opportunity right now with like the Biden administration. Things have been happening slowly, or at least not to the rate that we want it to happen, right? With the DREAM Act and the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. But our members are excited, are excited at the possibility of a pathway to citizenship and fighting for that. And I think I think that's the next big thing on our agenda. Yeah, I mean, everything that you all have been doing is because as a nation, they haven't been doing what they said that they would do. Each president besides Trump, um, but each president said that they would come and they would help immigrants and that they would do X, Y, and Z, and they just haven't done it, which is really frustrating. And I was hoping that this president would be different, but that hasn't really been shown to be the case. And there's still time, but not a lot. So just a question for you then is, what are you hoping that the Biden administration will do differently? So my my biggest concern right now is that dreamers get a pathway to citizenship and that the Biden administration and legislators say, that's it, we're done. It's off our hands. The immigration problem is solved. When that's way, way for like, that's too far from the truth, right? And that's right. not what we want. In this COVID world that we're living in, right? Immigrants have been at the forefront of the, the COVID recovery, right? They've been essential workers. And now is the time to applaud and honor the work that immigrant communities have put in during this pandemic and also give them a pathway to citizenship. And there's already bills on the table that would make this a reality, right? We, we all know about the DREAM Act, right? And the DREAM Act has made more progress than the other 
immigration bills, right? It passed in the House of Representatives. And that's exciting. It's it's a first step. But we don't want them to leave behind essential workers and the other millions of undocumented folks, right? Because that doesn't fix the immigration problem. It doesn't, right? The problems of our immigration system are so deeply rooted, right? And my advocacy is also in solidarity with the folks that are seeking asylum at the border, right? My solidarity also lies with folks that are currently in detention centers. And it seems like the Biden administration has such a narrow view of what comprehensive immigration reform looks like. Right. And I'm also a person that believes that ICE ICE shouldn't exist. Right. And I think a lot of people are scared to say that. But uh, I always say this, Tanya, you and I are probably older than ICE is. Right. ICE is a recent creation and we can live without ICE. And it's just I wish that the Biden administration would speak more boldly on immigration and that they really listened to the advocates that are on the ground um, and the, the people that are being affected by our broken, broken immigration system. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they're taking the bold approach to immigration. And it doesn't seem like they're listening to us at all. And it's also like things are happening so slowly at the federal level. Like the Dream Act passed, it must have been like two months ago at this point, right? right. And nothing has happened since then. And that was right. one of his promises on his campaign trail that he hasn't delivered on. And being bold isn't even that bold. Exactly. Uh, if you look at what really needs to happen, there's so much that is left to do. And ICE is very, very corrupt. They have done very, very inhumane acts and things to people. And so. The boldness of it isn't even that much. We just need to keep moving forward and we're doing it so slowly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, there's so much. <laughs> there's right, there's a right. laundry list of things that we want the Biden administration to do better. And I think it's important for us to call him out on it, right? Um, I don't think he gets a, a pass because he's a Democratic president at all. If we need to hold him accountable, we need to call out whenever he puts more money in the budget for detention centers and for CBP, Border Patrol, and ICE, right? He needs to be called out on that because I think this is another thing that we get caught up in, right? We can't take the bare minimum, which is the DREAM Act, and accept it and move on and say that that's what we wanted and we got it and we're done, right? We we need to keep our solidarity with immigrants at the border and in detention centers. It's not just about dreamers and young immigrants. It's about all 11 million of us. Right. And I think that is definitely true. And I, I really do hope that in the future it'll be different. But, um, you know, just going back to you, because we are um, almost at a time and we, we do need to wrap up. Uh, I wanted to direct it back to you and your future. Uh, what is it that you're hoping to do? You've done a lot of work already, really amazing work with Make the Road New Jersey. And so where are you hoping to go next? So I love the work that I do now. I love working with other young people that are also undocumented and that want to build this world that we envision where we live with respect and dignity and not in fear, you know? Uh, I love this work. I love the world of community organizing. And 
having people recognize their own power. And I think I want to continue working as a community organizer, even after I graduate from Rutgers. And I also want to go to law school, right? And work with not only DACA recipients, right? TPS holders, folks that need immigration relief, you know? So in the next few years, I do plan on applying for law school. Uh, but I, I want to be a sort of uh, like a lawyer that also does community organizing, you know? Um, so that I don't lose that part of helping people more immediately, right? In getting asylum, right? But also in having them recognize that they have this power and that together, right? Like we can create the change that we want to see, right? And that's what people power is. And that's what community organizing is. Um, so that's my plan. Yeah, that's amazing. Working at the intersection of advocacy and law. Um, that's really yep. a great place to be. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so happy that you were able to speak with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tanya. This was great. I'm so glad that all of you got to hear from Erica. She's amazing and she does amazing work in New Jersey for immigrant rights. And so super happy about that. Next up, we're going to be talking about what's been going on with DACA and a bit of this segment has been outdated at this point due to updates and decisions that have been made and so it's some of a lot of it's still relevant if you are currently a DACA recipient Jason Hernandez goes into detail into some updates however if you don't have DACA already that we'll dive into that a little bit further in a bit but Jason Hernandez is going to be a bit more technical, but I think you all will enjoy. We are super excited for you all to be able to hear from Jason Hernandez. Now, Jason Hernandez is a graduate of Temple University's Beasley School of Law, and he joined Rutgers Law School in August of 2017, where he was hired as an immigrant rights attorney to found the Rutgers Immigrants Community Assistance Project. RICAP offers free legal consultation and individual representation to Rutgers students and provides community immigration and Know Your Rights presentations throughout New Jersey. Now, we're going to be able to hear from Jason when he was presenting at a town hall for Rutgers students, specifically those that are undocumented and that are under DACA. The aim of this town hall was to really provide information about what exactly has been changing, what has been happening with immigration in relation to students, but also in relation to possibly their families as well. And so Jason breaks down in this audio segment a lot of really, really um, technical information. And so I'm going to jump in when I can, um, because it does get really difficult at times to, to um, understand everything. And so I'll try to break it down with you all. But um, I think you all are going to really enjoy hearing about what's been going on in that aspect. One essential thing that I think you've all been hearing throughout this episode so far is about DACA. And so I really wanted to clarify what exactly is DACA. DACA was made in response to the lack of le legislation that wasn't being passed, um, specifically for young people. And so it was passed during Barack Obama's term through an executive order, and it immediately got a lot of lawsuits. It got a lot of 
responses from states and that they didn't want it. However, the DREAM Act, which was introduced in 2001, is through the legislative branch, but all throughout many times and throughout many legislative sessions, it just hasn't been passing, including now. And so DACA was created as a response to the lack of action that was being taken. And this allowed individuals that met certain guidelines um, who came at a very young age to have deferred action, meaning that they aren't at risk of deportation, that they are able to get work authorization, and that they're able to have more opportunities for a period of two years. Now, this isn't lawful status, and it's also not a pathway to citizenship, but it does provide some protection for individuals. When Trump was put into office, he made the decision to rescind DACA. And so ever since he rescinded it, there had been multiple legal battles that were fought, which took it all the way to Supreme Court. Thankfully, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of DACA, but at the same time, it didn't necessarily mean that there's going to be easy pathways to, st- to get DACA. So when Biden was elected, he put out a memo that was meant to preserve DACA and outline really what um, needed to happen. And so here's Jason explaining a bit about this memo. And so the first one I'll mention is that he signed a memo that was called the Preserving and Fortifying DACA Memorandum. It was incredibly vague. So it doesn't really concretely say anything, but it's basically charging the secretary with seeking ways to fortify DACA. So we also have seen the elimination of discriminatory travel bans, which was through presidential proclamation. And this is also noted in the bill that Biden sent to Congress. It's enshrined in that bill as well in a more permanent way, which we'll discuss in a later slide. But it would basically... Basically, this proclamation reversed all Trump-era travel bans and requires the Secretary of State to basically issue a report on visa applicants that were seeking waivers during the period where the bans were in place, visa applicants that were denied during the time when the bans were in place, and basically investigate plans to avoid prejudicing individuals who sought visas during the time that these bans were in place. And additionally, the Secretary has been charged with reviewing the screening and vetting processes and issuing new recommendations for basically any sort of vetting that is done. It was really important for Biden to act in his very first terms as president for immigrants. And so DACA was a really big one that he could easily act on quickly, same with the travel bans, and he was so critical for him to do it because this was something that the Trump administration had done that was very controversial, that was very much in the face of the public. And so this is one of the easier things that he could act on. Jason goes into discussing more so as well some of the things that weren't as mainstream media, some of the things and stories that oftentimes weren't talked about, and those experiences were still helped as well. And so here's Jason explaining a bit about some of the uh, exclusions and some of the experiences that a lot of immigrants were having because of Trump-era things, and he's kind of bringing it back to what he refers to as the Obama era. So that likely will affect, so something that likely will affect is like some of the STEM-related changes that we, we have seen coming in. So some others were the extension of DED and the Liberian Refugee Immigrant Fairness Act. We saw that the exclusion of undocumented immigrants from the 2020 census, that has been reversed, which will basically ensure, or at least hopefully, work towards the aim of you know, getting critical resources to U.S. communities that are in need. 
basically revising the civil immigration enforcement procedures. What that means is sort of, you know, how ICE approaches enforcement. So under Trump, we saw sort of a broad enforcement where there was no real particular approach. It was just sort of anyone who was in the United States without authorization was, was fair game. This sort of revising of civil immigration enforcement procedures is a return to the Obama era enforcement and will basically focus on individuals with violent criminal history or individuals who have repeatedly violated the immigration system. Um, and then one of the more recent ones we saw was an executive order reversing the weight in Mexico policy. And as of February 19th, the CBP, a number of CBP facilities began screening into like basically providing, I think, credible fear interviews to individuals down at the border, an estimated 25,000 individuals seeking asylum. Finally, Jason talks about some bills that are being pushed through right now. Now, none of them have been passed yet, but these two bills are distinct, and they're being pushed by two different um, individuals, two different idea um, ideologies, um, but here he explains a bit of what that looks like. Oh, the, the Biden administration sent the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2020 to 2021 to Congress. And basically, this is a broad earned roadmap to citizenship, which basically includes a five-year path to permanent residency just for basically anyone who was in the United States before 2021. Obviously, there are going to be a number of admissibility requirements associated with that. If And then after that five-year period, you could apply for... So it's like a five-year probationary period where you apply then for permanent residency, an additional five-year period where you then would apply for citizenship. Under this bill, if you were a dreamer, a TPS holder, or an immigrant farm worker, there is an immediate application process for permanent residency. And in three years, those individuals can apply for citizenship. It eliminates the three and 10-year bars that I referred to in that earlier slide, which were some of the bad laws that came out of 1996 reforms. It includes permanent partnerships in the language, in, in like in the legislative language, to basically enshrine same-sex same partnerships for purposes of immigration benefits. It creates temporary status for pending family petitions, which basically we have some very long backlogs. So this would permit individuals with family petitions that have long backlogs to reunite with their families under a sort of temporary status while they wait out their backlog for permanent residency. It, it enshrines this prohibition on religious discrimination motivated bans, and it funds a community development basically for refugees and immigrants. Like basically this is funding for municipalities and nonprofits to provide sort of civics and integration and ESL and citizenship classes. And then finally, just some labor protections for basically individuals who whistleblow against labor violations and expands U visa availability and prohibits workplace retaliation. Obviously, these are like these are big, big asks. So this is just what the bill looks like that was sent to Congress. It does not necessarily mean that this is what the bill will look like when it sort of comes to out of negotiation or if it goes into committee and comes out of committee. So we'll have to wait and see. But it has been introduced, so step one has been taken. And then I also just want to mention the DREAM Act, which was reintroduced by Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham uh, this year. I just The language of it hasn't changed, so I'm just putting it up. It's the same DREAM, Dream Act that we've been talking about. It basically 
looks a lot like DACA, and basically it creates a path to citizenship for individuals who enter the United States under the age of 18, four years before the date of enactment of this bill, and then sort of later mimics the DACA requirements. So obviously there are a couple of logs that are in the fire. I'm not really sure how this will all work out, but certainly it creates a lot of advocacy opportunities for members of the community to try and secure really life-changing. The first bill he talks about, he's really outlining a bill that would really bring change and pathways to citizenship for all. With this bill, I think one thing that I really wanted to point out is the intersectionality of experiences of not just, you know, people that are immigrants, but um, and one example that he gave was in same-sex partnerships. There's legislative language that doesn't allow for these individuals to receive immigrant benefits if they're immigration benefits if they are undocumented. So this is something that is really frustrating that it doesn't exist already, but it showcases some lived experiences that aren't brought into the mainstream media that aren't talked about. And so this bill would bring and listen to these stories, bring actual change. And the other bill that he discusses, which is the DREAM Act introduced by Lindsey Graham, it's just simply like DACA and only provides pathways to citizenship for those that are under 18, rather than citizenship for all. And a lot of advocates like who you heard from today with Erica, they're pushing for citizenship for all. That's something that the DREAM Act does not do. And so that was just a brief breakdown of some of the things that Jason talked about in terms of the Biden administration. However, there's a lot more that he talks about, and specifically if you are someone who could benefit from this hearing about all these details, or if you're just interested in doing research, whatever it is, um, we're going to have this up on our website, digitalstudies.camden.rutgers.edu. You can find us on our social medias, and you can also find it through that link as well. During the production of this episode, we got to the point where the date July 16th hit, and now DACA is no longer accepting new applicants. And this is because a federal judge in Texas blocked the Biden administration from approving new applications. This is after Texas, along with eight other states, decided to sue a long time ago, claiming it was unconstitutional. And now the decision has been made. One thing that is important is that if you are currently a DACA recipient, you're still going to be able to reapply. We don't know for how long. This is still going to be proceeding through the courts. Advocates are expected to appeal to the Fifth Circuit. And so in the meantime, the judge decided that current recipients can still reapply. Now, President Joe Biden said that the Department of Justice would appeal this decision. However, nothing as of yet on July 19th has been done yet. So besides Biden's response to DACA, I also wanted to just cover some of the most controversial actions and things that have been more on the headlines of the Biden administration with DACA. One that really was shocking to me especially was the crisis at the border and the tension facilities. I really thought that, you know, after Trump, we weren't going to see kids in cages and that we weren't going to see people really in detention facilities at all. But that doesn't seem to be the case. And there's been photos that have been taken at these facilities, and yet nothing has been done about the people that are still in detention. 
And to deal with the crisis at the border, Vice President Harris visited Central American countries and in Guatemala said something along the lines of just don't come to the U.S., even though those that are coming are in need of assistance and seeking asylum, which is legal to do. And so that's something that's been more controversial. The Biden administration did issue an executive order when he was elected, restoring an Obama-era policy that was repealed by Trump that grants asylum to apprehended migrants fleeing domestic or gang violence, which allows them to stay in the U.S. Uh, while their case is being reviewed. And Biden also has been blueprints for new immigration plans that will make it easier and take a lot less time to be approved for immigration into the U.S. However, none of this has actually been taken into action, which is very frustrating. So this is just some of the things that the Biden administration has been in the news about as of late. One other big thing is Cuba, but that's more having to do with foreign policy, so I won't dive into that, but that's something that a lot of people are wanting more action from the Biden administration to take. So I wanted to just wrap up with that overview and to leave you all with a bit of a song. I mentioned it during Erica's interview, but this song is from someone who attended Rutgers Newark, and he made the song to talk a bit more about the immigrant experience. And so that will come on after our short credits reel. Thank you all for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram at D-I-S-C underscore R-U-C. And we will be sure to let you know when there's a new episode out. You can also follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and SoundCloud. And if you want to know more about the issues we talked about today, we do have some resources available to you on our website, digitalstudies.camden.rectors.edu. This podcast was brought together by student researchers under the direction of Dr. Jim Brown at the Digital Studies Center at Rutgers University, Camden. Hope you enjoyed the show. Alexis Torres Machado, I was raised in Newark, New Jersey ever since I was five years old. I'm 22 now. When I was just 11, I discovered the truth about my residence. Mama didn't tell me because she didn't want me stressing, but my father started talking and he told me if I accident, my mother started panicking like he's too young to handle it. But truly, I didn't care because I didn't really understand it then. Junior year of high school is when it started sinking in. I didn't have the same opportunities as my other friends. Study for the permits, then flex, and they got licenses. No one in my family had a call, so we just used our legs that's one thing we couldn't get out of many so that's not my only complaint i had plenty i stepped into the college that i wanted but i couldn't get no scholarship tuition was like forty thousand dollars in a year with no financial aid even though my family makes less than 30k now do the math and please explain how we're supposed to pay went to community college my parents pay out of pocket to this day this is for my immigrants for my immigrants for my immigrants for my immigrants this is for my immigrants for my immigrants for my immigrants, immigrants.